Hello and welcome to the 8th War Films podcast where we're looking at 10 war films and this time we're looking at Downfall from 2004. My name's Garen Ewing, I'm a illustrator and comic strip author and I'm doing this with my brother Murray. Hello, I'm Murray, um, I have a blog called Musings. And yes, we've been looking at these 10 films, as I said this is number 8 so we're almost there, we've had a bit of a gap Actually, quite a massive gap. (laughs) The last one we did, actually, almost two years ago, but it didn't appear on our blog till just over a year ago. So it's been quite a large gap in in both those ways. And we could almost have had a war in the meantime. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And part of the reason is, well, from my point of view, I've been quite busy with work, which has been good. But also, I've been busy before, and I think part of it has been the subject matter. Perhaps because this is a lot... Suddenly, we're, we're, it's getting a lot more serious with Downfall, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, it's quite a contrast to some of the other... I mean, all of these are war films. They all deal with quite dark things. Some of them are more lighter than others. I mean, <laughs> the last one we did, The Eagle Has Landed, was pretty much an adventure. Yes. I mean, a lot of people died in it, but something about it is more... You know, it's soldiers... Well, actually, I don't think there's any excuse for it. For <laughs> well, no, but there is a there is a fantasy element to some of these, like the first one, The Guns of Navarone. Yeah. Although a lot of these war films have some basis in truth or are based on a, a real incident, perhaps, they might take that real incident and then fictionalise it quite massively. Yeah. And then there's others that are closer to the truth, and Downfall is very close to the truth. It portrays the events in Hitler's bunker at the very end of of World War II in Berlin in as documentary a style as possible, I think. I mean, none of the films we've had so far have dealt with... Actually, they have. Um, (laughs) You know, like, the worst thing about World War II, if we can... If you can write... Obviously, (laughs) you know, there's the concentration camps and the mass genocide. Yes. That doesn't feature in this. I don't even know if it's mentioned. But all the way through this film, that's in the back of my mind. Yes. obviously you're seeing Hitler and the other people at the top, and you know that these are the people who made those decisions and put that into yeah. practice. Yeah, the only other film we looked at that has touched on this was It Happened Here. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Where, which is a fantasy in that it's about the Germans have invaded the UK, or England anyway, and are pretty much enacting similar kind of set yeah, of events. Yeah, so a, a Nazi mentality takes over and it, politically. Yeah, and it's actually got real fascists in as members of the cast expounding their views. So yes, that, that yeah. I mean, I found that fascinating, perhaps one of the most interesting podcasts we've done. I really enjoyed <laughs> enjoyed that. But there was the, that was basically a fantasy, even though it had these minority views. And I don't know, a lot's happened in the last two years as well, politically, <laughs> uh, that makes you think about some of these things again. Uh, that how these things can start to happen. I mean, I don't think we're anywhere near the reality of a Nazi Germany, but certainly there's little risings here and there yeah. uh, in the real world that make you think about these things and how they can get started. And here we are in very close proximity, as you say, to the architects of this terrible political ideology. So, yeah, so that was part of the reason I think we couldn't just, like with the Adventure Films podcast we did, Time Bandits and The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, you can just sit down one afternoon, really enjoy it and take a few notes. Yeah. Downfall wasn't a film I felt, oh, oh I'll, just, I'll just pop this in and <laughs> casually watch it because it's heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh... 
but I did enjoy watching it again. I um, I just watched it last night, and I think you remember the bits you remember. So I saw it quite a long time ago, mm. and it did have a big impact on me, which is why it's in this list. But the main thing I remember is just kind of this cramped bunker, all the scenes from that, and I forgot there was a lot outside of it as mm, well, yeah. which is. I was going to say, um, provide some relief <laughs> from the claustrophobic yeah, atmosphere of the rest of the film. But, it, of course, it's not really relief because it's, all, it's, it's all, all awful. Yeah, yes. But it is an incredibly good film and deserves its place on this list. And I think, I think it was right to put it in for the reasons that it's good and also the reason that it provides a balance to something like The Guns of Navarone, mm. which is you know, your typical Anston McLean hero fest with nazis dying you know like in a computer game so downfall 2004 yeah now 14 years ago yeah <laughs> still feels uh recent someone born when downfall was made would now be 14 that's how yeah. that's how i always think of it how old would a person be and that it's kind of scary and it's it's a german film which i think is incredibly important if a an american or british or or some other country have made this film it would have a very different feel mm. um would be viewed by people in a very different way also i seem to remember and i wish i'd um, verified this but at the time was it one of the first representations of hitler in a film made by germans i do remember there was a lot of controversy around the time because they weren't just representing hitler as a monster mm. uh, but they were, tr- they were showing him as a human being yeah. Not not meaning someone you can sympathise with, but as someone with flaws and also someone who wasn't insane. No, who... and even showed kindness to yeah. his immediate circle yeah. in some ways. <laughs> so it was a more complex picture of Hitler rather than... Yeah, and undoubtedly more true. Yeah, because, which I think um, is important. I think someone said in an interview about this that uh, it was important to show him as a human being, as all of these people as human beings, because that's what we need to remember. Yes. If you yeah. think, oh, this is something else, someone other, I think as they described, you know, they're not demons from hell with claws and teeth. Yeah. They're real people. They're us. And it can happen. And you can meet one and you can think, oh, that was a nice bloke. Yeah. And you go away and years later find that he was, you know, doing something really horrible. <laughs> Which is a main point of this film, because one of the main characters is Troudel... Uh, his secretary, yeah, uh, or one of his secretaries, and she uh, wrote a book called Until the Final Hour yeah. with Melissa Muller, which this film is based on two books, Inside Hitler's Bunker by Joachim Fest and Until the Final Hour by Traudel Young and Melissa Muller. And she claims, and I, th- I think it's probably true, she was fairly innocent politically, fairly naive mm. politically, wasn't aware, and changed her views on Hitler after the war quite mm-hmm. considerably and felt quite a bit of shame about them. Whereas some of the other secretaries would get together after the war for, in a kind of reunions. Yeah. She, I think she maybe went to one or two and then shunned them yeah. because she felt uncomfortable about it. But she, immediately after the Second World War, she made a lot of notes about her time as Hitler's secretary. And these were obviously very useful mm. for... you know. They were, again, in her naive stage, yeah, she so she said, wasn't critical of Hitler. She said she recorded a lot of things, like what he was eating, yeah, and little things that he did, which afterwards she felt, after she'd written this sometime later, looking back on it, she thought that maybe that trivialises it. And so the only way she agreed to publish this memoir was with 
um, the historian Melissa Muller, who provided a lot of context and introduction and also afterwards just to explain why this um, why this thing had been written and um, to point out that um, Traurl Junger had changed her position since then. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I think that's... It's actually... You, you want to know what he ate and stuff because mm. you kind of think, did, did he eat? Was he a human being? Yeah. <laughs> and it's very important to know that he was. Um, yeah, little details. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're obviously he's not what you call it by normal standards he was not a normal human being he obviously had extremism and maybe some mental problems you know i mean i don't know what leads you to that that's that's one of the big questions and one of the other questions that this film perhaps tries to answer is what made seemingly ordinary people so not the hitlers mm. but the traudels and others follow him it's not a black or white situation but people find themselves on one part of the scale and they can move either way yeah towards I, extremism or and know. the ultimate thing you you ask yourself is where would i be in this situation yeah because it takes incredible bravery to go against such a massive machine also just to notice it i mean it'd be so easy yeah. to sign on as a job as a secretary find yeah. yourself typing letters which contain a lot of um you know, they they won't say, oh, we're going to murder a million people. They'll say, <laughs> we're putting into operation, you know, putting into operation this idea. And it'll all be language which you won't necessarily understand or which you could easily decide not to understand at mm. an unconscious level. Oh, yes, yeah. And I think one of the things about Hitler was he... I think there certainly wasn't much in writing from himself about things like the concentration camps. Mm. Uh, he let others do that, but he implied heavily that others should do that. Yeah. You know, was he aware of it? Some defenders of Hitler, which they do exist, claimed that he wasn't that involved in that part of it. It was his evil generals. <laughs> but, I mean, my goodness, he he laid the atmosphere for the mm. hatred of Jewish people and uh, gypsies and homosexuals and, and anyone else who was different. Yeah, I mean, in Mein Kampf, he railed against Jewish people and, you know, his speeches were full of anti-Semitism. And when they are demonised, those people are demonised to such an extent, perhaps you start to think it's true. Mm. Um, there were more independently minded people, of course. And in fact, it's interesting that Traudel says one of the things that made her realise yeah. was... Sophie Scholl. Yes, she saw a plaque commemorating her. Uh, I don't know if it was in Munich or Berlin or somewhere... And she saw, oh, she, she was born the same year as her in 1920, so it was the mm. same age. But she was killed in 1943. She was an anti-Nazi activist. Yeah, so she protested while Hitler was alive yeah. on his way up to power. In fact, there's a film called Sophie Scholl, right. also a German film, which is about her, ah, right. her that, trial and I think the Germans can be a bit more proud of that yeah, <laughs> part yes. of history. It yeah. shows that um, people did resist, and even young people. So that's the argument against... But look yeah, what I happened to know. her. Yeah. So you can imagine most normal people would want to keep their heads down. Yeah. Totally understandably. I've got to say it. It's an impossible situation. There's no way to say, oh, I'd have been a hero. No. <laughs> and people would love to say, there's this famous photo of a, of a crowd of people doing the Nazi salute, I think, to Hitler. And there's one guy who's standing there with his hands in his pockets. Oh, right. and looking... Uh, who has, he has been identified and if I look at this hero you know a lot of people like to think that would be me I wouldn't yeah. be doing that but when 
the possibility is death um, and even if not not for you but your family yes i mean i mean that's how the soviet regime under stalin controlled people was because you knew it wouldn't just be you it'd be your whole family who would disappear <laughs> one night yeah. awful times and it's interesting that there are little echoes of it happening now but people are much more aware thanks to the second world war <laughs> thanks to our lesson from history people are more aware of what it means to stand up now so more people do and of course we're nowhere near national socialism no really. not in this country not in this country yeah, uh, yeah well, anyway we'll try and steer yeah. away from we're not reviewing current, hitler we're no. reviewing this film <laughs> <laughs> well you've got to talk about him yes um because it is mostly about it centers around hitler it's kind of from the point of view to some degree from Troudel. yeah and it actually starts a couple of years before yeah, most of it's set in, in 1945, obviously. But we start, I think she, she's she's hired in 1943, so yeah. we begin with, you know, six or seven women being sort of auditioned for the role of secretary, and mm. he takes a shine to her. Is it because she's born in Munich? I th- yeah, I think it was because... Something like that. Because he, he asks her to come in and type something, and she makes a mess of it, yeah. because she's so nervous. Yeah. You know, he's like the perfect boss. He says, oh, let's try again. You know, yeah. you think, oh, what a nice man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I think that's one of the things that um, Wim Wenders, the, uh, another German director, criticised the film for. He says, you know, in the early scene, it makes you think Hitler's a nice man. Yeah. But, but that, again, I think that's so important and mm-hmm. something this film does. Because, you know, you know when you get some mass, some serial killer and his neighbours all go, oh, he seemed like such a nice person. Mm-hmm. or Well, yeah, everyone is to some degree. And obviously he got his got to where he was partly through politics, obviously partly through hmm. terrorising people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, so he must have impressed various people in different ways. Well, it's force of charisma. He had yeah. he had this thing. There's no doubt about it. Well, in some ways he did. In other ways, he was quite a pathetic loner who didn't make friends easily. Mm. But he had some form of charisma. You yeah, know, not not perhaps the the Hollywood star charisma. Yes, yeah. But but something. And, of course, the political times that he came to um, prominence in were post-World War One, when the Germans feel very em- embittered mm-hmm. about the outcome of that. Uh, the deal they got, I should say, uh, the, 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 the deal they had to stick to, and the economy yes. was bad in Germany, partly because of that. And Hitler came around and turned that all around. So, yeah, through not maybe the most humanist means... <laughs> But I was going to say, I started to say this, that it's so important that Germany made this, this is a German film rather yes. than a foreign, <laughs> an, Eng- an English-speaking viewpoint. And the fact that all they had to do was be as documentary as possible. Yes, yeah. Um, they didn't have to put any kind of spin on it, and it kind of says everything. Mm. Um, brilliantly done. Now, it's interesting that when when we go to the main part of the film, which is the last sort of, I don't know, was it ten days or so? In, yeah. of, of life in the bunker. So Berlin is surrounded by the Russians. Yeah, they're 12 kilometres from Berlin. And the headquarters of the Nazi party have gone underground into this sort of air raid shelter, hmm. the bunker in the um, Reich Chancellery in Berlin. Hitler op- initiates what he calls Operation Clausewitz, yes. Clausewitz, which is the government has to leave Berlin. And one of the things they have to do for that is that they destroy all paperwork. Yes, so you see a lot of paperwork being burnt. And the other thing that Clausewitz said was defending Berlin to the last man and the last bullet. Right, yeah. Uh, which is also what you kind of see. 
Uh, just a little side note that isn't mentioned in the film is that Traudel actually married in 1943 yes, yeah. to a, a German soldier and he found being close to Hitler, because I think he was his valet or something, mm. so stifling that he volunteered to go to the front to get away from it yeah. and was killed yes. uh, the following year. Because when we first see... So she's a, she's a widow. Yeah, when we first see her, uh, Hitler addresses her as Frau Humps, and which really confused me because later on oh. she's called Frau Junger. Right. Okay, um, I didn't notice so the change. Yeah, <laughs> I, I must admit, one of the things that... I've, I've seen this film twice recently, and one of the things that confused me the first time is that a lot of characters get either spoken about or appear briefly. Yeah. And I'm thinking, who is that? <laughs> and, you know, and you're trying to work out who's who and what their significance is. Because obviously a lot of these characters are major political figures. Yes. Or major figures in the war. Hmm. And they might just come on, uh, have a brief speech, and then leave but you know something significant's happened yeah yeah so there's a lot to understand about this film yes and it being in german <laughs> is is another thing that yeah. makes it difficult perhaps for us yeah i should say that this podcast will include spoilers if you haven't seen downfall and the other little small print perhaps we should say is is we're not <laughs> military experts <laughs> by any means especially not uh, historians about the nazi party hitler or Germany during the Second World War. So apologies if we make any historical mistakes if you're someone who is a bit more of a historian and uh, recognises that we, we've made some terrible howlers during this, so we apologise. But if, if we do make a mistake and you notice it, put a comment on our blog just to tell us, because we, you know... Absolutely, yeah. Like yeah. Learn. Yes. Yeah. But we're trying our best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so most of the film is set in the bunker, and the, yes. the bunker is so well done, mm. you really feel the cramped atmosphere. Yeah. And in fact, it was interesting seeing a photo of the set. It is all built in boxes. Yes, yeah. Uh, in like a warehouse or a stage, a soundstage or something. There were literally four walls in every room. Oh, right. And the camera crew would bundle in there with everyone else. And it really gives the feeling of being, you know, stuck in this tiny little bunker. Yeah. It's also, I mean, in a way, it acts as a metaphor for Hitler. Because <laughs> towards the end, he's basically sitting there, mm. looking at a map, shouting, bring this <laughs> army here, bring that army there, and the armies don't exist. Yeah. So it's mentally, he's in a bunker. Yeah. You know, he's yeah, completely yeah. separate from the real world, and he's ordering this and this. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating, actually. He, he sometimes he's saying that's it this is the end everything's yeah, over yeah. and the other time he says we can still do it right uh, looking at the map bring the ninth army down and this general over here to get him to get in and everyone's looking around staring you know sweating away yeah. the reason they sweat by the way is because during his briefings hitler would turn off the ventilation oh, really i presume maybe because of the noise so he could be heard Oh. But, you know, you get up to 30 staff members in yeah. this tiny room and they'd all be sweating away. Yeah. None of them wanting to tell him no yes. to anything. And that was a big part of the problem. No, none of them wants to tell him the detail that will scupper his plan. Like, you know, there are only, you know, there's no not enough soldiers in that army yeah. anymore or they're stuck over there, you know. And sometimes they have to. And then he explodes. Yeah. And you get scenes like... Well, there's this one that's famous that became a meme. Yes, yeah. <laughs> which was done so thousands of times, I think, where Hitler's having one of his rants and people used the sound and the vision but put up on their own subtitles. Yeah. So it would be about something, you know, innocuous, like I think the first one was something to do with uh, someone complaining about the lack of updates on some Microsoft flight simulator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was brilliant. But, uh, of course you end up seeing about 50 of them and it yes. comes to...
I did wonder when I watching that film, I thought, oh, we're going to get to that scene. Am I just going to find it ludicrous? But actually, he's such a brilliant actor. Mm. Um, Bruno Gantz, who plays Hitler. I mean, what a job yeah. to play Hitler. I was thinking, watching interviews with him, he actually grew the moustache. Yeah. They darkened it with makeup at some point. But I'm thinking, after he filmed... Did he leave the set and go home with this moustache? I could almost imagine him putting on a false moustache just to extend the edges, you know. Right. Because that must be so emotive. I mean, seeing a man wearing a Hitler... I don't know, maybe loads of of people have those. He didn't have the hairstyle in real life. No, no. He was kind of bald and he had a wig, which was very well done. But didn't... uh, Comedian Richard Herring did... Yeah. He went round with a real Hitler moustache for a while because it was part of a, yes. a show he did and I think he had some interesting experiences <laughs> with that, going into shops and things. It's weird, isn't it? But this is in Germany, I presume. Yeah. But but incredible, he really inhabited that role. Mm. Uh, it must have been... It must do things to your brain. Oh, yeah. Physically, it's interesting as well because you see him shuffling around. I mean, I think he, he has his, his last birthday is part of the story. Yes. So I think he was 56, but he looks like a a man in his late 70s. Yeah. As you say, he's mentally going, but he's physically going as well. And you see him with his shaking hand behind his back, which I think people thought that was Parkinson's. He possibly had Parkinson's disease Mm. and several other things wrong with him. But uh, it didn't help (laughs) the situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So early on, we see Hitler meeting a lot of his um, top generals and other Mm. major figures, including Himmler. Yes. Obviously, they know that the end of the war is in sight. So Himmler says, maybe we should use politics. Um, And uh, Hitler says, I must force an outcome in Berlin or face my downfall. Right. Which is really, I mean, that's the start of the theme of the story, isn't it? Yeah. Hitler is refusing to give in or compromise or he refuses to show any compassion even towards his own people i mean they become the focus of his blame don't they? Mm. the german people didn't support him enough that's part of the problem he says yeah. and they deserve what they're getting so various people come to him with kind of compassionate pleas yeah. uh, what about the people they haven't got food they haven't got medical supplies and each time he rails against them they deserve this they yeah. didn't support me uh, they brought this on themselves. Awful. This reminds me a bit when we did the uh, uh, platoon, the Vietnam oh, yeah. film. I said that there, a lot of the action, even though it was a war film, we didn't actually see the, the enemy, as mm. it were, a lot. And it was all about the drama in a platoon. Yeah. You know, two characters were basically at odds. Yes. And here, again, we don't really see a lot of enemy. It's about one side. Mm picking on itself yes tearing itself apart yeah there's kind of two camps aren't there uh, amongst his staff there's those who want to go behind his back and start mm. talking to the allies the, the russians and also the british and americans and there's those that are completely loyal to hitler and the idea of yeah. fighting to the last man the last bullet and you know you do not go against his orders yeah. If he says it, we do it, even if yeah. it's impossible. <laughs> I mean, it's a cult. Yeah. And I think, referring back to how do people get into this kind of thing, that's how cults quite often work, is it's quite innocent at first. You know, so you end up, you start out typing a letter that seems quite innocuous, for instance, mm. and then before you know it, you're in a in a bunker with a man who's um, <laughs> raining against the whole world and that everyone should die. And Also, I suppose it's it's military. I mean, in the military, you're trained to obey... Mm. And the thing about having politicians who are also military is you really want politicians to question 
whereas the military are trained to obey. So yes. if you've got people yeah. on the whole, <laughs> the top, they just do what they're told, even if they're a major decision maker. Yeah, you know, you're not going to get any... That's a good point, mm. very good point. Yeah, it's interesting. And there's the idea that Hitler saw himself as a great military tactician, but actually wasn't. Mm. So he came up with a lot of ideas that were just uh, awful. I mean, like... You know, his, his attacking of the Soviet Union, for instance, was, yes. was a disaster. Yeah. And even when the winter was coming, he said, no, keep going. And, <laughs> yeah, destroyed such a, a large proportion of his army. So another person that Hitler meets with in this meeting is um, Speer, who was an architect, but also at this point was the Minister of Armaments and War Production. So right. He was the one who saw to all the bullets getting made. Right. And... Between them, they planned this complete redesign of Berlin. Yeah, Germania, I think. And um, Hitler's saying, one of the good things about Berlin being attacked (laughs) is we're clearing the ground to build this... Yeah, at least we won't have to to um, demolish yeah. buildings because they're being demolished for us by the Russians, basically, which is kind of hilarious. And Hitler asks Speer, what do you think I should do? Should I leave Berlin? And um, Speer says, you must be on stage when the curtain falls. Right. So, I mean, it's all, everyone knows this is the end, and it's completely stupid to <laughs> carry on, but it's going to go on. You kind of get the feeling with Speer that he's, he kind of seems the voice of rationalism. Yeah. But only within this context, yeah. because then you remember that he was one of Hitler's best friends. Well, he is sort of known as the Nazi who said sorry. Do you know about this? Not really. I think it may be. He was the only one of the Nazis at the Nuremberg trials who admitted the crimes. Mm, yeah, faced with Although, the death penalty. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, he was, didn't get the death penalty. No, he died in London, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. He said he didn't know about uh, what happened to the Jews. Yeah. Although, much later, apparently, in correspondence, they found out that he did know. Oh. Mm-hmm. But, so he was, that's what, part of what got him a prison sentence rather than a death sentence. Right. Although he was found guilty on all four counts, yeah. you know, including crimes against humanity. Yes. Yeah. So it is weird that in in <clears throat> this context he comes across as mildly sane and sort of, you know, like later on we find out that he he hasn't obeyed everything Hitler's told him. But when it, um, whenever he appears on screen, you think I want to be with him. Like <laughs> yeah. you're, if you're in there, take me with you. You know, he's he he does seem like the voice yeah. the voice of the rationality. Yeah, he's not completely but taken in by Hitler, but he's still a Nazi. Yeah, the truth <laughs> is that he was. Yeah, he was 99% horrible, whereas Hitler was 100% horrible, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just contrast. And the other character you kind of feel that you'd want to be with in this situation, perhaps, is Schenk, uh, Professor Dr. Schenk. Oh, yes, yeah. Who, at first thought, gosh, he looks like Klaus Kinski. But, <laughs> so he's, he's the doctor we see at, at one point, and he has quite a large, what seems to be humanitarian mm. streak. He's going around seems to have concern for the German people, wanted to do his best. But, of course, he's he's impotent in the yeah. face of Hitler and his generals not being able to do much. But, again, he was a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I read his Wikipedia page, and there you find out that some of the things, like the heroic things he did, like working in a hospital hmm. or a sort of put-together hospital yeah, where he, yeah. he, he didn't know about surgery, but he performed a lot of surgery because there was no one else to do it. Yeah. Or, was that um, true? He did do yes, that. Yes, yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, the other doctor who we see him with... Haas. Was, yeah, Dr. Haas. ...was too ill to perform some surgery, and so he'd yeah. lie there and tell oh, him what to do. Right. But also, apparently, he, you know, he, he, he's, he was high up in the SS, and mm. 
there are bad things said about him. Um, he start. He start before the war. He was a uh, um, food safety inspector. Oh god! And then you know he and uh, this probably happened to quite a few people in various, perhaps mm. middle management or high management roles in various organisations. Yeah. Suddenly found themselves with SS uniforms <laughs> and heading yeah. up um, departments of death destruction and you know whatever. Mm. And if you were a doctor, yeah. you'd quite often be involved in experiments and things like that well maybe not quite often but you certainly got drawn into not just um saving people but killing people but he's one of the other story strands so we've got hitler in the bunker yeah we've got schenk who we see out out and about in berlin quite a lot yeah and there's another brief story strand that gets introduced at this point which is uh, a young boy about 12 Mm. Or maybe younger, who's a soldier. Yes. When we see him, he's already destroyed two enemy tanks. Peter, I think his character <laughs> oh, right. name yeah, is. Oh, right, yeah, I never meant his name. <laughs> um, yeah, and of course, I mean, the good thing is, if we keep asking ourselves, was that true? It almost certainly is, because mm. the research done for this film was so good. Yeah. And that is true. As Berlin was being attacked and there were hardly any soldiers left, children were recruited and given bazookas to yeah. attack. I think there was something like 20 or 30 German tanks in Berlin and 15,000 Soviet tanks or something mm. like, uh, coming in. So the odds were not good. Yeah. But one of the last times Hitler went out of the bunker on his last birthday was to give medals to some of these children. Right, yeah. Of which a photo exists. Oh, of this, right. Of this thing, and they... They use that to reference the scene. Oh. Um, the director said in the photo, the boys just look so knackered. God. And he wanted the yeah. children to... There weren't as many children in the film. There's, there's like seven or eight, I think. In the photo, there's more like 20 or something, if I'm remembering correctly. But yeah, a real thing that happened. Mm. I was, it's interesting that the film, all those exteriors were filmed in St. Petersburg. Mm. Uh, in Russia and they did an incredible job it's in the centre of St Petersburg uh, what would normally be a four lane traffic street oh right they closed off for a week and a half or something two weeks nine days or something and turned it into this war zone and most of the non-speaking extras are Russians oh right the the boy Peter is German Mm -hmm. because he's got some speaking to do but the other boys in that lineup that get medals for instance are all Russian and people lived in that street (laughs) <laughs> and so when they had to film at night, there were no lights are, 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 are allowed. Lamps, yeah. uh, well, no, there's the, no lights coming from windows. Oh, right. Because who would still be living there, right? They'd have all gone. But of course, people in St. Petersburg, they were people's family homes. <sighs> and they had two options, the production crew. They could ask um, St. Petersburg uh, Electricity Board to cut the electricity. <laughs> or they could go to each family and ask them not to turn their lights on, which is what they did. Uh, and they did. The families did that. Mm, they complied. Wow. And they put up with explosions. I think they had one complaint when a particularly large explosion actually broke a window. Uh, but you can see in some of the production footage explosions go off and then all these car alarms go off <laughs> <laughs> from the Russian cars. <laughs> but it's also interesting because, of course, the history between Germany yeah. and Russia. And St. Petersburg was blockaded for a massive amount of time. Right. And people froze and starved to death in oh. St. Petersburg at the hands of the German army. And so it's quite, I find it quite moving that um, there was this cooperation mm. on the film. Mm. You know, and they they can't say enough good things about the people of St. Petersburg. It's particularly the, the extras, the crew they used, and the people who lived in this street. Yeah, who... And, you know, they were able to do things in St. Petersburg that they couldn't have done back in Germany to these buildings. And one of the interesting things was St. Petersburg was 
a lot of German architects worked in the city, so uh, it yes. had it had a fairly Germanic look. <laughs> anyway, they had to do some work yeah. to perhaps make it look a bit more like uh, central Berlin, but not a lot. Uh. So anyway, I found that aspect of the production really fascinating. Yes, we can't really go through this scene by scene because there's a lot of details. No, no I think generally, mm. you know, uh, I mean, there's some standout scenes. Obviously, the, one of the main characters we haven't mentioned is Eva Braun. Yeah, that's who I was going to come to next. Yeah. Apparently Eva Braun was not politically minded at all. Yeah. I mean, I guess you just got to accept that. In the film, she comes across as, to me, she looks slightly manic in the eyes. Yes. And, you know, well, she, that scene where she's, right, we're having a party. Yeah. And you think, oh, my God. <laughs> so she's basically Hitler's girlfriend, really, mm-hmm. but marries him later on in the film. And it's it's like she doesn't seem to notice that there's a war going on. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, she, I agree uh, the look in her eyes sometimes she's slightly psychotic mm. she's got an oblivious well lack of respect for what's going on around her i mean maybe deep down she does but her character does seem very odd and uh, she did try to commit suicide twice oh right before in her early relationship with hitler oh the first time was to try and get him to people think to get hitler to notice her more right so she she yeah they 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 reckon that um they weren't serious attempts to end her life their attention-grabbing things, but directed towards Hitler. Right. So that she tried to shoot herself with her father's pistol and failed. Um, but it had the desired effect on Hitler, yeah. who paid more attention to her. And again, she felt she wasn't having enough attention paid to her. She took some sleeping pills. And, mm. and then Hitler bought um, her and her sister a lovely house. And, you know... Uh, right. And there was another story, I think, uh, Hitler ordered that... Uh, might be getting slightly wrong, but, you know, cosmetics and handbags and stuff should, you know, stop making them. They're not important. Right. And yeah. she, that was, in, that was it for her because <laughs> that's what she was interested in, parties oh, and right. these frivolous things. So Hitler changed the order to, rather than banning them, just to slow down production or stop production yeah. temporarily or something. Oh, but, yeah, really interesting character. She worked for the official photographer of the nazi party oh right in the late 1920s and that's how she met hitler uh, and when hitler's niece shot herself in his apartment who he was very close to that's when he then turned his affections more to eva braun yeah so, so her really her introductory scene i, I don't think we might see her before but it's where she they're in the bunker and she suddenly says let's have a party yeah Actually, they're not in the bunker, are they? Because they go into the uh, Reich Chancellery, I think, right, yeah. the main building. The bunkers in the grounds of that. Yeah. It was built as a temporary air, air raid shelter in the 30s for Hitler, oh. and then uh, during the war, it was added to. Right. And it's an interesting thing because you know there was a first layer, which was obviously the original air raid shelter, and then in I think they built more of it under a bit deeper underground to be a sort of operations yeah. center yeah and the soviets tried to destroy it after the war and couldn't they <laughs> didn't they they couldn't they they half destroyed it mm. and in fact it was i think even today a few rooms exist really under you know a park or a car park or something um but yeah. uh, but you can't go and look at it because of course so, as with a lot of these things they don't want neo nazis turning these places into shrines and yeah that sort of thing. But it was recognised. There's a small plaque outside, I think, which was put up there during... I can't remember if it was some Olympics or World Cup or something. So then we get a, another character, General Weedling. Weedling. I don't, I don't know. I'm not very good at pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> he's on the front line and he gets a... He receives a phone call telling him that he's going to be shot for retreating. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And he says, but I haven't retreated. 
So he goes straight to Hitler. He marches into the bunker, doesn't he? Says, covered in dust. Yeah, it says, apparently I'm to be shot. Yeah. <laughs> this impresses Hitler, who now realises that he didn't retreat. Mm. So Hitler says, right, we're going to put you in charge of the defence of Berlin. Mm-hmm. Whereupon Riedling says, oh, I'd rather be shot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a great line, isn't it? <laughs> so this, this is a man who's basically a soldier, uh, a yeah. grizzled soldier. Yeah. He, you do, he's not a, an SS... I mean, he might be in the SS, but he's not like a, a politician at all. No. He's on the front line. Yeah. Yeah, he's another one you think, perhaps I'd like to be close to him during this, although he is uh, right in the thick of it. Shortly after that, then we get Hitler's first major rant, I think. Right. He, he thinks that Sh- Steiner will halt the Russians, but everyone knows that Steiner doesn't have enough troops. So as soon as Hitler starts finding out, he immediately calls everyone around him traitors and cowards. Yeah. That's in one room of the bunker, but everyone outside can hear him ranting and they're all starting to look worried. Yes, yeah. There's several times when he has a rant and yeah. one of the most common words he uses is traitors and betrayal and yeah. everyone's a traitor. It's the classic paranoia of your psychotic yeah. leader. <laughs> everyone's against him. Also, there's an interesting scene around here where uh, Junger, Frau Junger, um, that she's been told several times that she should just leave. Even mm. Hitler says you can leave. Mm. But one of the reasons she gives for not doing so is because her family told her a long time ago, apparently, that she shouldn't work for Hitler. Right. And if she says, she says, if I go home, that'll be admitting they're right. Right. Um, so it's obviously she's at this point where she doesn't want to admit she's wrong. So it's not entirely the best reasons for staying. No. I think, again, it's this kind of cult feeling. Mm. I mean, this isn't explicit so much, but cults kind of turn you against people who are outside the cult. Yes, yeah. Um, there is that feeling. You mm. know, if, if you're not in the inner circle, you're against us. And then that's the power of keeping you in the inner circle mm. because you don't want to be against them because the, the cost is so great. You lose your family inside the circle, your colleagues, and you lose your f- real family outside the circle. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's a very powerful, motivating force i think that is used by various mostly religious organizations and this was a you know yeah hitler was a kind of a religious figure yeah people believed in him exactly yeah and we see we we meet goebbels right around this time yes and what a what a great actor for him (laughs) his eyes talking of psychotic eyes with eva braun they they go up several notches with goebbels i mean he he has the eyes of a shark (laughs) i mean this is the actor we're talking about so i apologize to him but um (laughs) he's he's he is a very well chosen actor (laughs) yeah yeah he really he's scary he's scary to look at and it it mirrors the character of goebbels so well and goebbels was like a, a second hitler and he was his minister of propaganda. Mm, yeah. It's like he wants to be Hitler. Well, once, um, once Hitler was dead, of course, he did become the yeah. Chancellor, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. For several days. <laughs> but also, he completely he completely agrees with everything Hitler says. Yeah, and, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, here he says, you know, the German people have chosen their fate. We didn't force the German people. They gave us the mandate. And now their little throats are being cut. Mm. It's like he's saying, they can't blame us because they put us in charge. Mm, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's really interesting. And, and it, yeah, where Goebbels sticks with Hitler, absolutely. Mm. Even people like Himmler, Hitler eventually rails against him because Himmler goes off to... Try and make a deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's a traitor. Yeah. But Goebbels, I mean, in a sense, he's even worse. He brings his family in. This is the worst. I know we're jumping ahead, but yeah, yeah we'll jump around with this. Yeah. The worst part of the film for me, mm. uh, amongst uh, all the bad stuff, 
but yeah, as soon as you bring children in, <laughs> so yeah, he brings his family. Is his is it six children? These little angels, yeah, <laughs> Nazi angels. I mean, they are your Aryan, <laughs> blue eyed, yeah, yeah. blonde head, but but they're children. Yeah. Uh, children brought up in a cult don't know any better. And yeah, my God, it's, it's his wife. Yeah, Magda Goebbels. She's the one who comes up with the idea. She says several times, there's no point in living if there's no Hitler or yeah. there's no National Socialism. Yeah. What's the point in bringing up children if there's no National Socialism? I mean, to get to that stage where you'd kill your own children for an ideology yeah. is incredible. She's obviously so... She thinks there's no future if Hitler dies. Yes, I, I, I cannot relate. A lot, a lot of things you can relate to on some level, even mm. if they're bad... This I cannot relate to at all. It's incredible. And that scene where, first of all, they give them... I don't sleeping, know if it's poison or a sleeping draft. draft yeah. yeah. And, of course, the eldest girl, Helga, she knows what's happening. Yeah, she doesn't That's want to difficult to watch, isn't it? Really hard. And then, while they're sleeping, she feeds them these poison capsules. Yeah. Oh, my God. It goes on too long. I mean, it doesn't. It's important. Yeah. But you think, oh, please get this over with. It's just the worst... It's all, I mean, it's all the stuff that's, that's not said, like Goebbels stands outside uh. while she does it, mm. and she comes out, and I think she... Actually, not a tear shed by either yeah, of them. It's obvious from her sort of body language that she did this, mm. he had no part in it, and it's mm. like she thinks he's a coward. Oh, well, he didn't stop her. Yeah. And I think, I think historically, he disagreed at first, oh, really? and then went along with it. Uh. Yeah, great. But there's yeah the scenes earlier that you know what's going to happen because mm. this is history. So the scene earlier where they're all singing, they're like the anti von Trapps. They're the yeah. cute little singing family singing a song for Hitler, Uncle Hitler. Uh. <laughs> and um, you know it's this sweet childhood innocence, mm. and yet you know what's going to happen. Mm. That's that's the the power of that mm. in this film is incredible. It really is. This is one of the things that makes it difficult to just sit down and watch as as entertainment, but shows you the importance of yeah of art being used in this way. I think mm. uh, films being made like this, yeah, you shouldn't always watch easy films, brainless things, because you know just being in a documentary style. How how can a, an opinion be formed just by looking at facts? Uh, well, obviously, your own experience and context form the opinions from what you're looking at. Are there people out there who watch this film thinking, you know, oh, poor old Hitler. Uh, <laughs> oh, if only that hadn't happened. Yes, you're right to kill the children. Of course, it's all... I mean, are there people like that who have downfall in their collections <laughs> as a kind of completely different film to the way that we have downfall? Yeah. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's, yeah, don't like to think about it. But it's probably true somewhere. To draw a connection between that, outside in Berlin, um, there's two young soldiers, a girl and a boy, mm. who are probably young teens or mid-teens, who realise that the end is near and the girl asks to be shot. Yeah. The, the boy shoots her and then shoots himself. I think that's Peter's sister. Ah. Because they're... They were seen together. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's the father that comes to say... Yeah. Come back. Yeah. You know, what are you doing? Arm. He's got one arm because he's been on the front. Mm. I don't know whether that's First World War yeah, veteran I... or I think he's probably been on the front in the Second World War, but I don't know. Mm. Yeah. And he criticizes them, saying, you know, his views, the war's over, this is stupid, children are just dying for no reason, and his mm. children are there. Yeah. And his son is ashamed of him for not um, fighting for the cause and runs off. But I think the girl is his daughter. 
and Peter's sister. Ah, oh, right, yeah. She was a Russian actress. Oh, right. Which I, I don't think she said anything in the film, because that shooting, she may have, I don't know. I think she does ask. Oh, okay. Yeah. But she's a Russian actress, actually. She's right. one of the Russians. And certainly the scene where she dies, Eva Braun's writing a letter, I think. Uh, right. And so you don't... It's silent, played under Eva right. Braun's narration of her letter. Yeah. That she's writing to her parents or her sister. Her sister, I think. That's, the, that's one of the things about it being... Obviously, it's a uh, subtitled film, is that I might have absorbed mm. her asking to be shot. Yeah, in, you do. In silent yeah. film style. You know. Yes. It's interesting with subtitled films. I always find this. You start, all right, I'm reading, I'm watching, I'm yeah. reading, I'm watching. And then ten minutes in... You're just absorbing. You are, yeah, subconsciously doing both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and then the boy shoots himself. Yeah. But after he kind of seems to hesitate at first. And And also, while we're out there, there's these gangs of vigilantes going around hanging people who they think or they perceive as not to have been, um, to to have been perhaps colluding with the Russians or not doing enough to defend Berlin. But they're basically getting civilians who they think could have been acting as soldiers old men for instance and hanging them as deserters yeah when in fact they're just civilians it's a mob yeah and the the leader of them is this large ham-faced guy (laughs) in this german hat i mean you can kind of uh, there's british people who are a bit like him yeah you know these kind of angry you know everybody get off my garden (laughs) but but you can recognize that kind you i can just see some of these people the the kind of um what are they called the the gammon faced gang you see (laughs) on question time (laughs) these middle middle middle-aged older men with red faces um who hate anything left of you know far right read the daily mail and they you know they'd be out there (laughs) wearing their i don't know what's the equivalent of that german hat with the little feather in but uh, yeah as soon as you see him you kind of hate him yeah And, and you know it's so petty mm. at the end everything's finished to go around and they don't they get peter's yeah they get parents, peter's parents because he goes back home after realizing that everything's yeah there's no choice anymore he gets out of his uniform goes home and finds his parents dead yeah and uh, we see him again at the end of course yeah now, after this there's a one of these switches that happens and hitler starts to rally so after seeming to give up he says to one of his generals or someone, we must get our oil fields back. And you think, it's like he's planning so far ahead that, uh, you yeah. know, obviously he knows something, you know. Yes. There's a lot of suicide in this film, isn't there, oh, as well? Right, yeah. I mean, because there's also around this time, Hitler is discussing suicide. Yeah, how so to do he's it. got he's got these two thoughts streams going on at the same time. Do you use a gun or poison? Yeah. Um, and, he, and there's lots of people who commit suicide mm. out in the field and... Well, in the bunker is after Hitler's done it. Yeah. happens a few times. Yes. There's a lot of paintings <laughs> on the walls of the bunker. Valuable oh, right. art. Yeah. Uh, which was brought down from the Reich Chancellery. And there's a scene where Hitler's staring yeah. at one. And I wondered who that was and looked it up afterwards. It's Frederick the Great, which is one right. of Hitler's heroes. Uh, I assumed it was. I didn't know who it was. So I, I just no. assumed he was. And it's shortly after that that he rallies, I think. It's like he's right. looking at one right. of his. I remember that yeah, he's looking at one of his heroes and thinking, what would he do? Yeah. And then it's almost like, you know, he um, enters a fantasy world and thinks, oh, maybe we can win. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we must get our oil fields back. But then <laughs> after that, 
he gets a, a telegram from Field Marshal Goering mm. saying, um, <laughs> because he hasn't heard from Hitler for a while, should he take control? And Hitler is furious and orders him executed. Yes. For questioning his yeah. authority. And then uh, Speer arrives again. Yeah. So he, he goes to see Hitler. Because he thought, Hitler thought he, uh, Speer had abandoned him. Yeah. He but then he comes back, he realises yeah. he hasn't. But then Speer's come back to tell him he's leaving. Yeah. And not <laughs> only that, he says, um, I mean, in a way, this is quite brave. This is what none of his other yeah. the generals would do. But mm. you've got to say that in context because yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. nasty man. But he says, um, I think I should tell you that for the past few months I haven't been <laughs> obeying your order to destroy things. I can't remember if it was destroying buildings or something, but he hasn't been um, following his orders yeah. for the last few months. So, um, I don't know, does that make him slightly better than Hitler? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he offers his hand to Hitler, who refuses to shake it. Yeah. And, uh, Hitler but, says, you know, the one thing he's proud of is that he openly confronted the Jews. Yeah, there's a few, uh, there's a couple of times he mentions that. Yeah. So it is mentioned, but... When uh, Speer leaves the Reich Chancellery, there's some music playing, and I thought, I recognise that. Oh, yeah. And it, at first I thought, is it Foray's Requiem? And then I th- I thought, no, it's um, it really sounds like Dido's Lament from Henry Purcell, oh. which is in English. Yeah. Um, and actually it's not. It, it's, it's it's music that was scored for the film. And oh, it's used right. a couple of times, but it really it's really very similar to oh. Dido's Lament my favourite bits of music which is why I recognised it but fitting at first I thought it was a, a requiem and I thought oh, that's fitting yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so's Dido's Lament perhaps now then we get another generals arriving um, din- uh, a dinner scene with Hitler and this is another point where he suddenly enters a fantasy world and he says that he allowed the invasion of Berlin and it's all a trick yes. to lure the Russians in yeah. so that he can he can catch them in a massive pincer movement. Yeah. <laughs> and for a moment, the general he's talking to, you can see him, because the general had obviously decided everything was over and he'd come mm. back to the bunker to die with Hitler. Right. And it's like you're thinking, oh, maybe that's true. Mm. You know, even though this general probably knows the situation outside the bunker a lot better than Hitler. Yeah, yeah. He's thinking, you know, you can see that how such as their belief in Hitler that if Hitler told them you know tap dancing elephants were coming to, <laughs> with machine guns were coming to save them they go maybe it's true you know yes there's a bit where he says compassion is I can't remember exactly what he says it's um oh, compassion is a weakness basically yes. it's against nature yeah and which kind of gets this false idea of Darwinism which it isn't yeah but this uh what's it called survival of the fittest yeah kind of thing and the germans are proving themselves after all not to be the fittest so they deserve to die because you know the stronger ones will survive i mean he even says that uh, might be goebbels who says yeah the way that you strong survive and the way that you prove that you're strong is by defeating the weak Mm, right (laughs) um no compassion is I was thinking, watching this, you know, what sort of a film is it? Obviously, it's a war film, but yeah. how would you class the story? And I was thinking, the thing that I immediately think of it is as a tragedy. Yeah. But obviously, you can't really apply that, because a tragedy, certainly in the modern sense, is something bad that shouldn't have happened, you know, like someone dies too young. Right, yeah. And then in the Shakespearean sense, you know, like you've got Macbeth and so on, where you've got a figure like a prince or a king mm. who is their downfall. Right. But through some fault of their own. Yeah. And even uh, and in those situations, even though like Macbeth does evil, he, he kills a king. Mm. There's a sense of something noble that might have been good, which is lost. Right. 
I was thinking, but that you really can't say that about this situation because <laughs> Hitler dies, the whole SS regime falls mm. through its own fault. But the thing is, if you think of it as a tragedy for Germany, yeah, Germany, their fault was that they decided to believe in this idea of Hitler right. and taking the path of no compassion, no compassion towards their enemies. Yeah. But then that no compassion gets turned on them. Yeah. So really it is a tragedy... Hitler falls, but it's the German people who oh, suffer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was my take on. This. Yes, yeah, I like <laughs> that. That works. Mm. Yeah, and maybe using that word tragedy in the scene that follows is um, Doctor Gravitz. Oh yes, who's this rather horrible historical figure who I believe experimented on trying to cure homosexuality mm. as they believed and euthanized people and was involved in the killing of you know either physically disabled people or people with with um yeah mental illness before yeah. the war started i think it was the the t4 project or something he was involved okay. in that yeah and hitler says he doesn't give him permission to leave berlin yeah. so he has one last meal with his family and incredibly <laughs> I mean, it's horrible. Again, you see the child... Yeah, the, Playing with a doll. Oh, yeah. feeding, feeding her doll some soup or something. And he watches his family while under the table he's taking the pins out of two grenades. Yeah. And obviously they go off and kill his entire family. It's not quite as stark as the Goebbels yeah. family death, but still the same sort of thing. It's, it's a weird situation because you're introduced to the character so quickly. He's saying to Hitler, oh, please, can I leave... Hitler says no, and so he goes home and kills his family. Oh, he could have left, surely. Yeah. He could have escaped. But he didn't want to be caught because of the experiments. Yeah. yeah. So he, he's a horrible person. Is that person. the one where Hitler says, you did nothing wrong, or was it another doctor? Yeah, he says, I will take... Hitler says, I will take full responsibility. Yeah, you did nothing yeah, wrong. Yeah, so what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you just watch that scene, you'd perhaps feel sympathy for him. Certainly mm. for his family. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, the rest of the film is kind of seeing the end of various people yeah. now. And one of the others is uh, Herman Fegelin. Oh, yes. Who's uh, again, Braun's I'm sure I'm pronouncing that brother incorrectly. That's right. He married yeah. Eva Braun's sister. Uh, he is Himmler's he, adjutant. Yeah, and so, is one of, he agrees with Himmler. In fact, they, they conflab at the beginning about yeah. going to talk to the Allies. And he's one of the ones who's on the side of thinking that this is the end. We should give up and try and yeah. save as many lives as possible. Political solution. Yeah. When he realises that's not going to happen, he goes out and gets drunk and has a night in bed with mm-hmm. um, a woman and uh, Hitler sends out a party to yeah. arrest and shoot him, which they yeah. do. Because he's supposed to be the link to Himmler and Himmler has, according to Hitler, betrayed yes. Hitler. So um, yeah. this is the one one of the few times we see Eva Braun... Um, she begs for his life. Yes. Because obviously he's her brother-in-law. And I think his her sister is pregnant as well ah, with right. the child. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, and Hitler refuses this request and mm. Eva Braun obviously just um, decides to go with it. Yeah. Hitler is still ranting on about ghost armies out there, the 9th and the 12th. Venk mm. will come, he says. He's got all his hopes based on this army which yeah doesn't exist at all in the the uh, numbers necessary there's a military update where someone says something like there's 20,000 dead mm. and Hitler says that's what young men are for yeah <laughs> it's all numbers to him yeah it's uh, there's a greater in quotes good uh, for his ideology I thought after this there's a it's difficult to call it comedy but there's a <laughs> there's a sort of I can't even call it light-hearted, but there's a moment where, first of all, Hitler dictates his political testament, which yeah. is like his last public statement. Yes. And so Frau Junger 
is typing first she takes it in shorthand and mm. later you see her typing it up mm. and then Goebbels arrives and he wants to dictate his testament yeah she says oh I'm typing up Hitler's <laughs> and it's like Goebbels is like the second naff Hitler yes <laughs> he arrives and says I want to make my last statement oh you can't I'm doing Hitler's oh right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't he even he cries at that point doesn't he Hitler ordered him to go away Right. I mean, to leave Berlin. Yes. And he says, yes. why is he sending me away? Yeah, you know? but he actually cries. I mean, yeah. goodness me. So he doesn't cry to the death of his children. No, no. But he cries when Hitler orders him to, to go. Um, and then Eva and Hitler marry. Yes. And there's another minor comic scene where the man brought in to marry them says, have you got any ID? Yeah. <laughs> He's a Fuhrer. <laughs> are, are you of pure Aryan descent? Yeah. These are the questions, obviously, that people have to answer before they're married. But, yeah. Um, so it's after that that Hitler learns that all his um, belief in Venk and the 12th and 9th armies are... These armies don't exist. Yeah. The yeah. Russians are 20 hours away. Still he's saying, I'm never going to surrender. He's obviously knows that he's going to die. He says mm. he doesn't want his body exhibited in a museum. Yes. Um, so he, he gets um, one of his more loyal sort of servants. Yeah, Gunch, uh, I think his yeah. name is. Um, he asks him to see to it. So Gunch requisitions 200 litres of petrol. Yeah to burn Hitler and Eva's bodies. Yeah, yeah. The doctors are brought from the, the hospital where they're doing... Yes. They're trying to, you know, I always think about this. Both <laughs> doctors are brought from this hospital where they're doing good vital work. Yeah, this is Schenk and Hass. Yeah, to tell Hitler... And a nurse. How, ...how to kill himself. Yeah, she, yeah. she gets hysterical. She obviously really In the face of on. Hitler, she kind of loses it. Yeah. Says, please lead us. Yeah. I don't know if it's just the presence of him. She. I mean, she is obviously one nurse to two doctors. She's yeah. probably been working 24 hours a day for yeah, yeah. months. But She's... again, it's this cult feeling. Yeah. It's this, this, this blind loyalty. And the bunker is just full of blinkered madmen. Yeah. All crowded in. Uh, with this unquestioning loyalty to uh, the lead madman. <laughs> Too scared to confront Hitler. Yeah. So the madness continues. It's, you, as they follow people through the bunker, approaching Hitler, it's almost like you pass these... There's a bunch of drunk people, mm. and then there's a bunch of people who are staring into space thinking, <laughs> we're going to win, still, we're going to win. There's gonna be, and then you oh, pass some more drunk people. I don't know if anyone actually thinks they're going to win, apart from it's Hitler like, occasionally. They're thinking, you know, this cannot be happening. You know, they're just... Mm. It's, it's, it's quite like the end of Apocalypse Now, where you get to the uh, you know the point where um, they find Colonel Kurtz, and it's all madness. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. They test poison on um, Hitler's dog Blondie. Oh, they're testing it. I just assumed that they were, he was another one who can't live, you know, after beyond Hitler. Well, maybe partially true. I mean, Hitler absolutely loved that dog. Yeah, I think he. Some people even thought he perhaps loved animals more than. Well, he certainly didn't seem to love people. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, no. I, I thought it was a kind of a test to see how quickly uh, right. show Hitler how quickly it worked. Uh, right. yeah. Wasn't it when Hitler was asking uh, Hass about how the best way to kill himself, and he was saying, you know, bite the poison, then shoot yourself. Yeah. Because Hitler's hand was shaking, he thought, "What if I shoot myself and mm. and miss, or right. don't, don't do a good job?" Yeah. So Hitler then has a... He actually says goodbye to all the staff, doesn't he? Yeah. You know. Shaking hands. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, a conversation between Junger and Eva. I can't remember which one says, that, oh, Hitler, he can be such a caring person, but then he, he says such things. <laughs> That's quite another little comedy moment, is when Eva Braun says she sometimes kicks the dog. <laughs> yes. She hates that dog. So sometimes <laughs> when Hitler's not looking, she kicks it, and then Hitler wonders why his behaviour's all strange. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have a last meal... It's the three... I mean, Eva's not there for some reason. It's the three secretaries. Yeah. It's all the, the woman... One is a cook. Yeah. Um, and Hitler wolfs down his last meal. Yeah. Vegetarian, famously. Yeah. 
uh, who also hated smoking. So there's and a lot of obviously... One person calls him a vegetarian, non-smoking teetotaler. Yes, yeah. that's what happens when you get a, a non-smoking... Yeah, yeah. but... And there's, there's various people smoking, and then when Hitler comes along, they quickly hide oh, their yeah, cigarettes yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And there's one, yeah, there's one scene when they're burning books, and Gunch is smoking, and Hitler comes up behind him, and he quickly throws it into the fire. Uh, right, yeah, I, never, I mean, I saw them doing it, but I didn't associate that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, then it happens, 30th of April, 1945. Mm. Hitler kills himself. Yes. I mean, there's a, a moment where um, Frau, Frau Goebbels... Frau Goebbels begs him not to but um, yeah they she they knock on the door when he's in there he, he looks mightily pissed off that he's been interrupted in his mm. last moments with eva braun it's one of those moments where you know the the front of belief <laughs> in him frau goebbels you know obviously she knows that when he dies yeah it's going to be her children and her i mean this is the one time she shows any sign of emotion towards that idea yeah i mean yeah. it's difficult to tell if it's it could be that she's more concerned that they're losing losing Hitler. Yes, I mean she seems oh, yeah, to be, yeah, 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 rather than her own children. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a series of unbelievable events, isn't it? Mm. This this thing of I mean, you know what makes the news now when something bizarre and awful happens, if someone kills themselves. It's you know, this was happening every yes. twenty minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. Newsworthy stories, no, newsworthy, but. Yeah tragedies all over the place mm. uh, just just too many to count i'm sure um yeah so, so yeah. they they kill themselves and the bodies are burnt yeah side and uh yeah right outside the the front of the, the bunker, bunker in a little ditch yeah and, and the russians did recover the ashes i think oh and did they yeah and the dental records were checked so it was kind of confirmed uh, so he didn't didn't escape to the moon yeah, or South America, as some people believe. There's yeah. some there's some documents that kind of mention the possibility, but I think it's fairly... I mean, it's so well documented from people who were there and yeah. these dental records, which maybe are not necessarily definite evidence, but are pretty good. Yeah. There's no way he survived. It's, it's yeah. too well documented from various sources. Yeah. <laughs> but that is a conspiracy theory, of course, that uh, exists. So after that, the generals go to speak to the Russians to say um, we can talk about surrender. Yeah. And this is where the Russians say, there's no talking about it, it's unconditional surrender or nothing. Yeah, because I mean, they know they're going to win. Yeah, what... what got all the cards. What, what have the Germans got to bargain with? Yeah. There's a brilliant scene that was filmed but not used. Oh, right. Because the Russian they went to see, I don't know if it was Marshal Zhukov or someone, it might not have been him, but... um. At the time the Germans arrived, he had no military officers with him. He only had some artists and composer, strangely <laughs> enough, arti- frontline artists who were taking pictures oh, right. and paintings of what was going on. And um, some of them had... I don't know if they hastily put uniforms on and sat next to him. And to present a front. Yeah. Her, yeah, but there was one who didn't have a uniform, so he hid in a cupboard in the room. And the meeting went on for hours... And he ran out of oxygen, and halfway through the meeting, or towards the end, he fell out the cupboard. <laughs> and the Russians, all they did was they got up, picked him up, took him out of the room, and then the meeting continued with everyone. With the Germans didn't even question it. <laughs> Just halfway through this meeting, this guy falls out of the cupboard. <laughs> that was the so, last meeting I had. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, but the, um, they did film it. But he he decided it was so bizarre yeah, and yeah. and strange that he decided not he had to cut various. So that was one of the things he cut just because he thought people just won't believe it. Or, <laughs> You'll have to explain too much. You don't laugh at that point. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So they're sent back, and then this is when we see 
Goebbels' children. Yeah, killed. yeah, we've discussed that. Um, and then they... The uh, Goebbels shoot themselves. Yeah. Well, Goebbels shoots his wife. wife. And then himself. And then they're burnt. Yeah. It's got to be like Hitler, you see, even at the end. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But then finally, Junger, Frau Junger and the other secretary, Gerda, leave. People are now leaving the bunker. Yes. Others are shooting themselves. I mean, it's like... It's kind know. of a breakout. there, And, and they, they dress themselves in... Yeah, they are soldiers. Soldiers. Yeah. I think more for practicality than... Mm. Because when Trowdell decides to leave the group yeah. and try and make it... Because there's two, the two secretaries. One is going to stay. Yeah. And the other one decides to leave. Yeah. And that's when Peter comes yes, back into yeah. it. Uh, I, I didn't realise it was Peter at first. I just thought it was another boy. Yeah. Uh, he it was only on the second watch of the film. Because the first watch of the film, a lot of it I was thinking, who is that character? Yeah. And... Um, it was only on the, the second watch of the film that I realised that's why the boy had been introduced earlier on. I mean, mm. obviously, it tells you what's going on in Berlin, mm. but he is the boy you see right at the end, so yeah. his story gets threaded through the whole thing. I presume I didn't actually do any checking on that. Is that mm. a fictional thing, or was there really a boy who suddenly appeared out of nowhere? I, I can't imagine that they'd invent seeing them at the end. I don't know, it's kind of a neat... I can imagine they might invent that bit. Yeah. Because uh, I have to look it up after this, but um, it's kind of a neat little joining up of various strands and allows her to leave more easily. Mm. It looks... Although I'm surprised they let anyone walk through all those Russians, but they did. Yeah. I think, in reality, she didn't actually get very far and she was arrested by the Russians and then she was handed over to the Americans and interviewed and... Uh, but eventually she settled and lived out the rest of her life. Dying in 2002. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the film there's an update, you know, one of these, what happened to each person. Mm. And a lot of them, obviously the the major ones were um, arrested and a lot of them died in Russian prisons. But then quite a lot of them survived into, you know, like the 2000s. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the 70s, 80s. As as we said, Speer died in 1980, I think, in London. Um, The two main military defenders of Berlin, Monk and Velding, Mm. were taken by the Russians back and imprisoned. They didn't survive because they had, like, sentenced to 20 years and 25 years and they died in in Soviet captivity. I think that might be the same with Haas. I'm not sure. Yeah, because, I mean, both Haas and Wielding are are shown to be ill in the film and they both die. In fact, Wielding collapses. Does he make the announcement... As, as, of surrender, yeah. Yeah, in Berlin. And then he he asks for a drink of water and then collapses straight yeah, away. Yeah, But the doctor, Haas, is ill. Uh, yes. And he, he, he dies shortly afterwards, yeah. I think. And, and the other two main characters, Krebs and Bergdorf, who, yeah, we can't really single them out, but they're, mm. they're, they've got a lot to do. They, they're back in the bunker. They're sort of like the last two to shoot themselves. Yeah. And they do it together and sat down in one of the corridors. But yeah, a lot did survive for a fair while. Yeah, I mean, that's basically yeah it. <laughs> so downfall. It's weird in a for a war film to to be so aware of each death. Yeah, I mean, no one or not no one, but very few people are just mown down right. as you know, like you'd think of the the baddies. Yeah, I mean, it does happen shot. in some of the yeah. the outside scenes. There's bodies everywhere yeah. in in the street scenes, mm-hmm. rubble and bodies yeah. in almost every shot, and smoke and fire. Yeah, uh, it's very well done. And of course, yeah, I think being able to film that in St Petersburg in an actual, you know, not on a set, mm. 
made that very realistic. And a lot of the lighting they used, they used the same lighting they had back then. Oh, right. So they had in the bunker, they used bulbs that were pretty much identical to the bulbs they had. Mm. And a lot of the things were lit by firelight. So you had that flickering light. Mm. Um, And they used very little. The artificial light they used was close to natural light. So one Mm. of the outside lights they used was very similar to moonlight. So it's realism goes from the facts of the narrative right down to the kind of environment they used um very such a well done film did it did it win win oscars it was definitely nominated all right yeah i wouldn't be surprised if it did another thing i I didn't check but have to have to look up yeah i mean it's interesting that a lot of the the war films we've covered have dealt with you've got the people at the top who are removed from the action and we Mm. usually follow the people who then carry out their orders and there's a sense that all the people at the top they're just staying behind you yeah know, they're a minor presence most of the time here mm. it's all about the people at the top really yes. almost all of it yeah yeah um getting their comeuppance <laughs> but kind of it, it focuses on so many interesting aspects of it like mm. the confined madness yeah. and political ideology yeah gone crazy and completely obeying and the people you know what what would you do there's that question again Mm. which has come up a few times in the well it came up mostly in um it happened here we were talking about that yes yeah it was interesting i was gonna say about bruno gantz who played hitler oh yeah was in two other films that are worth mentioning i think is one's the boys from brazil oh right which would have been an interesting one to do actually although it's set i think in the 70s yeah and that that's where they're trying to clone Hitler, yeah. Hitler, aren't they? Um, I don't know who he played in that, but that, it's a very good film. It's one of my... I really, I, I've watched that a few times. Oh, right. So. Uh, has that got Laurence Olivier in, I think, hasn't it? And a film I saw recently called Remember. Have you heard of that? It's only from 2015. Uh, I don't think so. It's got Christopher Plummer and another actor. I can't remember <laughs> who it was. Anyway, there's these two old guys in an old people's home. Yeah. And they're both... Auschwitz survivors oh right and one of them is so incapacitated he can't leave and the other one has got quite bad Alzheimer's but has moments of lucidity and he escapes from the (laughs) old people's home with the agreed mission from the other guy to go and find one of the camp commandants from Auschwitz and kill him oh right now there's a really good twist I thought I've heard people say it's a rubbish film I I actually really enjoyed it and Mm. I didn't see the twist coming there's a good twist and Bruno Gantz is in that as well because Christopher Plummer who goes out he buys this gun he's he's an old old forgetful man but he's found like four candidates so you see him going around each one and Bruno Gantz plays the second one who actually turns out to have been a homosexual who himself was in the concentration camp yeah and Christopher plumber meets him in a hospital where he's dying or something i, I recommend it actually oh, right. i won't obviously i won't give away the twist uh it's good it's mm. a good film mm. no, so I he was in, in but he's been he also played the angel in wings of desire oh yes which i've saw once and i saw it with you i think we saw it with some other people and oh. i mean, remember falling asleep oh i didn't I did not enjoy it it's hailed <laughs> as a classic and maybe i should give it another go but it's gonna take me a lot to um build i'd have to have nothing else to do <laughs> that's terrible i'm sure wings of desire actually is probably a good film it may have been the mm. circumstances but yeah he played the angel yeah in that film as well and that's from vendors who yes exactly criticize this film yes. for, uh, yeah. yeah 
Okay, so anything else to say on Downfall? I think we did yeah. a lot of discussion of the actual thing yeah. during the yeah. the film, because as you say, it's not an easy one to go through scene by scene. I believe we've got quite a, a, a sharp turn, even about face, for our next one, because I think it's Kagamusha mm-hmm. we're looking at. So we're going back to uh, Samurai, you know, yeah. the, I don't know if it's the Tokugawa period, so probably not. Um, anyway... Uh, samurai 16th century I'll have to check all my facts on this but that's going to yeah. be interesting yeah and perhaps we'll try and do it this year <laughs> <laughs> let's try yeah. yeah so thank you very much for listening to our 8th War Film Podcast and we'll see you next time goodbye <laughs>